So my initial thoughts, because I'd never seen it before. Man, what the hell was that movie? <laughs> And welcome to episode of Cinenation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here at Cinenation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And for the month of October, we are going to be talking about horror comedies. Uh, last week, we discussed Brian De Palma's The Fan of the Paradise. I'd like to thank all of our Canadian listeners, especially from Winnipeg, for showing up last week. Uh, I really want to go to Winnipeg now. <laughs> I really do. Yeah, I really want to go. When, when theaters and stuff open back up, well, it's probably different in Canada right now because they're they're doing a little bit better than we are i would love to go see phantom of the paradise in winnipeg one day that's that's the goal so our, our winnipeg listeners out there please contact us when it happens so i okay, said so we're talking about horror comedies this month what's some stuff we talked about uh so far thomas with horror comedies well we discussed the idea of homage which is huge within the horror genre anyway like outside of of comedy just you know paying homage to the stuff that came before especially the gothic literature that really kind of led the way into the horror genre but that that makes it really easy for horror comedy to work well because we're so used to seeing things kind of borrowed and chopped up and adapted within the horror genre in the first place so to then see that turned into a joke feels like it works and so that that we talked a lot about the idea that a horror comedy can still be considered a horror film or, or still yeah. feels like part of the genre instead of just being a parody kind of on the outside and uh we'll talk about that a little bit more as the month goes on for sure yeah it's been interesting because i I've, again i've been watching a lot of horror centric movies or like horror comedy movies during the first few days of October. And it's interesting to see like movies that were critically hated at one point and they were like failures. And I look at them now and I realize, Oh, they're just like what people didn't realize was they didn't know. They didn't know it was a horror comedy. They're like, Oh, it mm. has to be either a horror or it has to be a comedy. It can't be both. And now they're like fine looking at certain movies. Like, Oh, it is both. They're like it's it, it's exaggerated to an extent, which is mm -hmm. very very big in this genre. To where like oh, it is comedic, but because it's exaggerated horror tropes, it is horror. And I think today's movie has a little bit of that in there. And mm -hmm. so Thomas, I'm gonna let you take over. What is today's movie? Yeah. So today we have a film uh, from uh, 1977, a Japanese film called Hausu. Um, also house in in english but um there's a little story behind the title of house uh, as well that we'll get to uh but to give a, a brief intro uh normally we like to do a little intro of the cast but there is no notable cast in this film whatsoever uh which we will also get to but the real star of house is a man named nobuhiku obayashi uh, in 1990, in 1955, a young Obayashi dropped out of medical school to enroll in a liberal arts program and pursue his passion for filmmaking, despite his father's urges to become a surgeon. Uh, <laughs> over the course of film school, Obayashi would enlist some of his most talented classmates to form Film Independent, a collection of independent and avant-garde young directors in Japan. Um, film Independent was actually a huge success. Uh, a lot of directors in the late 1960s and early 1970s credit the avant-garde avant style or the uh -huh. pop art style of filmmaking in Japan to uh, film independent. 
And so uh, toward the end of their college career, Film Independent was approached by an advertising group and they said, hey, we love your style. We think it's really fresh and hip. We'd love for you guys to come make commercials. And everyone in Film Independent said no, except for Obayashi, who thought that sounded amazing. So Obayashi spent the entirety of the 1960s making experimental commercials in a pop art style that made him a household name. He had never directed a feature film, but people knew him. He was Obayashi. Yeah. He did these kind of crazy commercials from the 1960s through the early 70s. He directed over 2,000 advertisements, uh, including Japanese ads that would feature American stars like Kirk Douglas, Charles Bronson, and even Catherine Deneuve. Yeah. So his first feature wouldn't come until 1977 with House. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was his first one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, last week we talked about Phantom of the Paradise and it being kind of a cult hit. Yeah. And House, I think you could consider a cult hit, but it's strangely also was a gigantic success in its release in Japan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But despite it being a huge release, a huge success in Japan, it did not make its way to America until 2009. Which, which is, is why insane it to me. Feels, yeah, that's why it feels like a cult movie. Uh, so the, the studio that produced the film never distributed it to the United States, but in 2009, Janus Films looked into acquiring the American distribution rights. Their idea was to launch a horror and cult themed companion to the Criterion Collection. Okay. So it would be like a different, uh, name, but it would be run by Janus who also works with Criterion and would be a way, kind of like Shout Factory, um, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a way to collect and, and and more more culty like and, and this is this this what that's then like an arrow in england they're mm -hmm. distributed it's it's yeah more culty kind of b-movie exactly but as they were acquiring it word of mouth grew quickly and um they actually ended up just adding it to the criterion collection and distributing it in 2009 as a criterion film and uh as part of the uh, release of the film did it just a few screenings in new york to drum up publicity did not think it was going to do anything whatsoever whatsoever they immediately sold out uh, yeah. the new york releases and it just became huge everyone people across the country saying i want i need to see house in a theater i need to see yeah. it live with an audience you need to bring it here so it kind of started touring around uh like horror festivals and just became a huge success which is how it became a cult hit in america 30 years after its initial release yeah i mean we talked about this last week with uh fan of the paradise and i even compared it to kind of mandy of how like it's about access so it's like a cult film becomes a cult film because of the lack of access or mm -hmm. availability of a movie and if it's a 30 year gap of what that's what's interesting because I've, I've heard I've, I've i've listened to a lot of directors talk about the movie of late and it's weird to hear them like oh like, it's such a great movie like i feel like everyone that made a haunted house movie after this film was inspired by this i'm like but how they yeah. it wasn't it wasn't in america i mean there was pro some people probably got prints of it i don't i don't yeah. i don't doubt that but i also don't think like as many people saw how how su as people think they did yeah pre-2000 yeah, i i can't find sam raimi on the record yeah. saying that he had ever seen this but like several i've read several people they're, they're like sam raimi had to have seen yeah this movie at some point yeah um uh, so brandon what's what is what is house about oh gosh uh <laughs> well for one just to, to to so you guys can go watch if you have never seen it before it's currently streaming on hbo max and criterion channel as of recording this uh house it was about this 
young girl. Her name is Gorgeous. The names in this movie are very... Uh, it's like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's very yeah. like, uh, this person. this person's this... Yeah, this this <laughs> they, this they person... all have one character trait, and they're named after that one character. So trait. it's very yeah, so, easy to remember the characters. Yeah. So the one who's really good at music, her name is Melody. Uh, the one who is uh, who's overweight and eats a lot, her name is Mac. Uh, so gorgeous is this is young Japanese girl who's in high school. And it's coming up to summer, and she is going to be spending time with her father. And she finds out that her father has now married a new woman or is about to marry a new woman. I think it's, is it, is she about to marry her or is yeah, he I about to marry engaged. her? They're engaged. Yeah. And she becomes upset and she writes her, her, her kind of estranged aunt that she hasn't seen since she was a young girl of like, Hey, I want to get away from my, my dad. We were going to, I was going to spend time with him this summer with my friends. We're all going to like, like hang out together. Can we come and visit you instead? And her aunt's like, yes, please come, come to the house. I've been waiting for your letter for, for years. And Gorgeous and her, uh, is it, is it six? It might be seven. Is it seven or six? I wanna... So it's Gorgeous it's Fantasy, gorgeous. who is, has an overactive imagination. Profe- prof, who's professor. Yeah. Uh, okay. Kung Fu, who does Kung, Kung Fu. Fu. Yes. Mac, who is yeah. the, the one who eats a lot. Melody. Sweet. Yes, yeah, yes. Mel- Melody is the musician and Sweet is just the like super nice one. <laughs> <laughs> so they all go to the house uh, uh, of, of Gorgeous's aunt's house. And as they get there, things like odd things begin to happen pretty uh, about half about 30 minutes in the film. But it's uh, yeah, odd supernatural things begin to happen and the house Ten, or begins to kind of take hold of the girls basically it becomes your i won't say traditional haunted house movie but it becomes <laughs> it becomes a haunted house movie mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a movie it's so, a- so let's let's get into it brandon what are, what are your thoughts so i i had i had seen this film before yeah uh i watched it for the first time last year when i was doing my kind of branching out to watch yeah. new horror films but i had heard it I had heard great things about it. Um, I had seen the trailer a few times at uh, the New Art Theater. They yeah, screened yep. it once, and yeah. I didn't go to that screening. I, I I remember like trying we, to. And we not wanted, yeah, it. we wanted to. We all wanted to, but we just didn't do it. But I remember the trailer for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. That that voice is like house. How yeah house. Yeah. So my initial thoughts because I'd never seen it before. Man, what the hell was that movie? <laughs> and I and I say that in the best way possible. By the way, I don't say that as a negative. It is one of the weirdest and most strange films I've probably ever seen before. I get, because I remember you texting me when you first saw it. You're just like, I don't know if I actually saw that because it was so late in the night. Did I dream it? And I get that. I get that feeling. (laughs) It's, it's, you, you can definitely tell that Obayashi is coming over from commercials and that I feel like the movie functions in like 30 second Clips. yeah it's yeah it's in peace yeah it's it's interesting it's like it's but he's using so many tricks like filmmaking tricks that you would mm-hmm. see in commercials around the time at least probably in japan of if it's kind of like animation or if it's like uh like composite show. He, he's pulling out all these different like special practical effects really in terms of how they're doing these certain like scenes yeah 
And I've got some I've got some info on the special effects okay, a little bit cool, later on, but cool. that's a that was a fun process. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of like films from Dario Argento and Mario Bava, like kind of these colorful, like dark films. And it's it's a it's a wacky and unique take on like the haunted house tropes. We talked about this last year around October of just like what the haunted house is of usually just a a spirit of some kind or pe- a group of people come into a house and a spirit kind of takes over and can start picking them apart one by one, a lot of different things. And this and this follows like a traditional horror fi- or a haunted house like kind of structure in a way. Mm-hmm. But it's just yeah. done in a very unique way, and it, it is. Uh, and weirdly, it's also d- divided into halves. That's what I no- noticed, and not mm-hmm. fully halves, but like the first twenty-five minutes, there's not really any like there's no supernatural stuff going. And it's on. just kind of a teen a teen yeah, pop movie. It's kind of a teen pop movie where like oh we're going we're gonna go spend the time or spend the summer with my aunt like we're on a train like we're hanging out. It's a very youthful film, mm-hmm. and then it takes a turn. It's night. It's nightmare fuel by the last half of the movie. That's what. That's what I have to say. Like it, it gets to a certain. And we'll talk about it in favorite scenes. But like it gets to part where you're just like, what the hell is happening right now? <laughs> well, speaking of it being very youthful, this that has a lot to do with with how it got made. So uh, go back two years earlier. It was 1975, and what movie in America has just completely changed the film industry? Jaws. Jaws. <laughs> yeah. So, and I bet you did you see this connection coming? <laughs> I, I, well, when I I, I I did I didn't mean to research stuff, but I looked up just because I, I look up like oh Halsey real quick, and like the first line is like oh Jaws inspired this, and I'm like yeah. huh I'm gonna stop right there and not read anything else. <laughs> so immediately after the release of Jaws, we all know everyone in America was scrambling to find the next Jaws for yeah. better or for worse. You know you got piranha on one end but you also got star wars so you know it, it it different people had different ways of approaching what jaws meant to the industry but in japan the uh, legendary studio toho wanted the same thing mm-hmm. uh, toho was the top studio in japan they're probably best known in america as the studio that created the godzilla franchise they were also the producers of akira kurosawa's films okay but now they wanted their jaws uh, and the lesson that they took away from Jaws was that it needed to be young, it needed to be hip, and it needed to be scary. So they turned to famous advertising director Nobuhiko Obayashi just to come up with, basically to come up with their brand. Yeah. They said, hey, we want to make new movies, we want them to be, we want Jaws, Go, come back to us with an idea for Jaws, basically, <laughs> and, and you just hand that off to us. The thing is... Toho functioned in the same way of, of classic. It, Toho was based off of classical Hollywood. Yeah. And so they still had, even in 1975, they still had staff writers, staff directors. Oh, that's interesting. And they did not hire people outside of the studio system. So Obayashi was not signed by them and he was only huh. brought on to come up with the concept as, yeah. a, as a marketing guru. Um, but Obayashi has also claimed that in his first meeting with Toho, they told him that they were tired of making, quote, comprehensible films and yeah. wanted to make something incomprehensible so I, that to me sounds like they're also kind of taking away from like the film the film brats yeah in like, the american hey, let's, studio let's, system. Let's, let's let's throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks type thing exactly yeah, yeah. i think they're they're watching what directors are doing in the studio system in america and and they're this they want this to be that 
Um, so yeah, so Obayashi immediately jumped on the idea. The part about appealing to a younger audience really hit with him because that was usually who he was trying to appeal to with his advertisements. So he immediately enlisted his 10-year-old daughter by asking her, what scares you the most? So okay. the, the two of them sat down and collaborated on the initial story and many of her ideas okay. made it into the final script that he created with uh, with a co-writer named Katsura. That makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense now. Okay. Obayashi titled the script Haosu in an attempt, he said, to give the film a taboo English-sounding name. So the, okay. the re- release title of the film was Haosu, which does mm-hmm. not mean anything in Japanese. It just sounds... <laughs> similar to the word house okay so he delivered the script to toho and said hey i wrote this for you completely i want to direct it and they said oh thanks for the script go away you're not a signed director within the studio system so for two years the script was shopped around toho contract directors they would just send okay. it out someone would read it and they'd send it back and they'd say i have absolutely no idea what to do with this Meanwhile, Obayashi, ever an advertising genius, decided that he was going to make himself the director of Haosu. So in the two years that the script was being shopped around Toho, Obayashi managed to publish a manga version of the story, produce oh, wow. a radio play of the script, wow. commissioned, commissioned the entire soundtrack of the film and released it on vinyl, and had business cards made up declaring him the writer and director of House. That's insane. That's like... That is, I don't know how to how to how to like define that. Like, it's it's guerrilla filmmaking to like like hey, I want to make this movie. I'm gonna do whatever I can to do it. Yeah. It's, so the movie was already like a teen. Like it, it's a, it it's was a gr- known gr- grassroots movement. To yeah, get this it was movie already made. a cultural yeah. phenomenon before yeah. the cameras began rolling at all. And That's so insane. finally, so in nineteen seven early nineteen seventy seven, Toho had had the movie's been turned down by everyone at this point. And everyone in Japan knows that Obayashi is making this film Haosu. So they've got to just hand it over to him. That's amazing. Man, the 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 balls on that guy. <laughs> I, that's all I got. It's just like the just the in, like just to do that. That's crazy to me. All right. So give me give me some favorite scenes. Favorite scenes. Uh, I'll start with one that like was my favorite in the moment. And then I found out more later on about it and that's the mirror scene that's like literally the middle of the movie mm-hmm. when gorgeous goes into i guess it's her aunt's room mm-hmm. and sees the ref- her reflection in the mirror that also then becomes like her aunt at a younger age and and then at one point the mirror breaks but then also like gorgeous's face breaks apart and fire is basically engulfs her body it's mm-hmm. i was just like it was it's a jaw dropping scene. And then I find out later from the video essay you sent of like how it provided like a, a context to the story he was trying to tell. Yeah. And in the video that you sent is by a Koganata, 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 who also did the movie Columbus a few years back. It's, he talked about how it was some of the, the, the idea that Oyashi was trying to do was capture the generations in Japan pre and post the Hiroshima bomb in World War mm-hmm. II. And the first half of the movie, I'm talking about halves, the first half of the movie was the young, the people who were born after the bomb was dropped. And 
do not know the world of uh, Japan and the effect that Hiroshima had on it. And then the the older generation are the ones that are almost it feels like almost jealous of the younger generation. They had mm-hmm. they didn't live through that. And that moment with the mirror is the kind of connection between the two generations in a way yeah. is what it feels like. And it's putting the idea of the Hiroshima bomb in a very kind of metaphorical sense of like what it's doing with the fire and the, it's a very, so I, I love that scene. Yeah. That, and that talking about, you know, the, the groundbreaking effects in this movie that I, I still have no idea how they did that one. Cause I know no some clue. of the, some of the animations they did with the girls, they had them like wrapped in, in green screen so they could chroma key different parts. But I mean, you're watching a live shot of Gorgeous's face and little pieces start kind of falling off and becoming fire. Yeah. Like a, like a jigsaw. Yeah. It's incredible. But yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, Koganaga says in his, uh, in his video essay, Obayashi survived the, the, um, bomb of bombing of Hiroshima as a, as a child, mm. but lost, he says all of his childhood friends were killed in the bombing. Yeah. And it's really interesting to, when you watch this to see, I'm not sure exactly where he stands on it. I mean, he's, he said openly that the, that's what the movie is about yeah. is the generational divide, but it's, it's not clear because the way that the ant kind of we're getting into spoiler territory here, but, but you know, the ant and the house itself, we come to find is like feeding off of these girls yeah, and feeding off of their, their innocence. And so obviously the ant represents this idea that like the older generation wants to bring the younger generation down. Like you yeah. don't know what I've been through. Yeah. You can't be happy. Yeah. You can't be innocent. This is what has happened. Yeah. But, but Obayashi, who is part of that older generation, I feel like admires them, you know? Yeah. The innocent, yeah. The, the, the younger generation. Again, that's interesting when, you, when he's talking about him using his 10 year old daughter as like an influence to the story. It's very there's no there's not a hatred to the younger people in the movie it feels mm-hmm. like you know they're yeah, dying off. yeah yeah there, i mean there's nothing because you you have to imagine if you put yourself in his shoes you go to your daughter and you say what are you most scared of and she says back um the piano eating me you have to imagine it as someone who has survived an atomic bomb at her age you have to be like oh that's how quaint but yeah what he did what he did was take those fears and and amplify them realize them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that that um the piano scene which which you talked about is an incredible scene and that was one that was straight from straight from his daughter's night really she, well yeah. yeah that was one that was when like the movie like uh we're in we're in, we're, in, we're in the end game now like when, the, when, when <laughs> that's the, when it really goes yeah because up to that point it follows i mean it, it does follow as crazy as it all is it does follow a kind of basic haunted house structure where you've got like the one person i mean it's it's i've I've heard this movie called like Scooby Doo on Acid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, it does kind of have like like uh, fantasy is that Scooby character. You know, Scooby's always seeing the ghost everywhere, and the rest of the yeah. team's going like Scooby. There's no ghost, <laughs> and so for for you know the middle third of the movie, fantasy keeps seeing all these bad things happening, but no one else is believing her. Yeah, but then yeah, the the piano is when it really starts. Like everybody realizes that it's 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 done. It's yeah, bar yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It it goes off the rails in a good way. Like it's you have like there there are people who are who are there are there are like a supernatural attacks before that, but that's where it's just like the piano like like eats her. Like I, I mean, I don't know how to explain it for people who have not seen it. The piano just eats her. Like it's just yeah. like she's playing. It cuts off her fingers. 
eights her and then her fingers continue to play the piano on their own yeah. uh it, it it's 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 out there <laughs> one that i also i thought was bonkers happens before that and that's when sweet is being attacked by like i don't know how many beds like <laughs> she's being attacked by beds yeah and it's so so here's here's something with, with all these scenes we're talking about at least with the kills in terms of like you know, this commercial background they're all very visual and i said they're all like using these very practical effects and we talked about kind of oh using the the like references to the older works i i do think there are a lot of alfred hitchcock moments in this movie actually hmm. in this in the beds the beds attacking sweet he does this shot where they're shooting through the glass floor yeah where you can see everything and that's something that hitchcock did during the silent era where you could see like a killer oh he yeah would, he would shoot the, up the lodger. The, the lodger yeah he would shoot through the glass floor you could see the 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 the, the uh the, the serial killer pacing back and forth and so they use that as a way to see sweet being attacked in a very like unique perspective and and then another scene is the, is the kill of mac where they where i don't know which girl finds her but like the girl finds mac's head in the well that's that's fantasy it's yeah, fantasy okay so, but what happens right before that is that there's really good dolly zoom or vertigo shot, and I was like, "Oh, mm -hmm. things are about to pick up here." Because yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's that's the first because we we don't see Mac. Mac just kind of disappears. Yeah. And then yeah, the first time we see anything supernatural happen is when Mac's head floats out of a well <laughs> and bites Fantasy's butt. <laughs> yeah. And and, and and then and then and then projectile vomits blood everywhere. Yeah, it's so. I mean. Yeah, guys, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. This is I don't know how we don't know how to explain this movie. Yeah, so but he does, but he does a again a vertigo shot. This is the thing about that specific shot in filmmaking, and some people don't really understand the purpose behind it. Is the idea like a vertigo shot should be used when a change and when when there's a change in the character's world mm -hmm. or in the environment of some kind, and that's a moment where that's the ultimate change is that that's where the the killing start so right before that happens you have this subtle dolly zoom to to cue you visually okay we're entering into a new section of this film something is about to change for the worse probably for these characters mm. A vertigo, a vertigo shot is never used for like a, a very to my knowledge it's never used for a positive change in a character's no, world no. <laughs> it's always it's always a negative uh a negative because yeah, it feels kind of out of control I, I, yeah. a vertigo shot for me is the visual representation of like when your stomach drops yeah you know it's like everything just complete the world just like shifts around you and yeah i love that shot too because this movie has gorgeous matte paintings it does for, very um, much so. for the backgrounds and so there's this like sunset matte painting behind her um when it when it happens it's unsettling but in, in a beautiful way i don't know how to explain it. it's, just, it's very it's very weird of how everything happens i mean the the the, the world with the matte paintings you're saying it looks like cotton candy in a way like it's just like all these different mm -hmm. colors and the and the clouds and like you're you're in a i'm not saying you're in a cartoon but it kind of feels that way especially with the train sequence when yeah. they're going to the aunt's house where it feels like you're in this like cartoon type world yeah well and that's wild too uh, the train sequence oh, that was going to be my next pick because there's a moment when the characters they're on their way to the aunt's house and the characters all kind of ask gorgeous about her aunt to which gorgeous tells them the story of of how her aunt is is 
uh, an old spinster. Yeah. And while it's happening, we see like a black and white movie play, but we're also getting commentary from the girls like they're watching the movie. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's weird. not just that they're commentating on the story that Gorgeous is telling them. They're actually seeing like like she's telling them the story and they're talking about. So the story is that Gorgeous's aunt was engaged to a, a man who was uh, enlisted in the war and died during the war. And, and she's been a kind of a spinster ever since. And they're they're going oh so handsome whenever they show the yeah. guy and and there's that you said cotton candy there's a, they show very briefly a, a flash of the bombing of Hiroshima and one of them goes oh it looks like cotton candy it's yeah it's 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 a it's a it's a good way to give us like again we're talking about how he's he's it's it's commentary on the on the war and and kind of Japan after the war and and pre war and it's a, a it's a clever way to give you exposition without telling you here's what the movie's about mm-hmm. it definitely sets up the because i mean i honestly that scene came and went and it was good but i was not thinking for the rest of me oh this is this is an allegory for world war ii and and the bombing of japan and and so when looking at it now after watching that video essay just you see oh okay this was like this is his setup of the movie this is his this is his setup for the second part of this film basically mm-hmm. and 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 what's weird right after that scene that that I I don't know if I've really seen before is twenty minutes into the movie or more, and then we get title cards for all the characters yeah. <laughs> right after that. Yeah, and it's like it looks like a '70s sitcom. It's just like Irish shot, and it's like gorgeous, and it's like gorgeous, and then it's like introducing them one by one. Yeah, it's got that great that great song over it. So so that was a band the band that wrote the that helped write the score and then recorded a lot of the pop songs for mm-hmm. the soundtrack um they're called godago okay. and they're a band made up of like half japanese citizens and half uh like american army brats who had, who had okay. grown up in japan so a lot of their their music is in english and it's got this like late 60s even though it's like 75 it's got this like late 60s kind of like zombies kind of vibe yeah to it. yeah it does you know it's it's so poppy um they actually have a uh, a cameo in the film um when the girls are at the train station they they walk up and talk to the girls briefly okay but uh another one i love it's so bizarre and it's i think it's perfectly timed because it's right after things start getting weird is the the dance sequence with the ant <laughs> yeah and the skeleton <laughs> Yeah, because it, it perfectly sells. Yeah. I mean, it's it's another one of those things. So much of his stuff, and and it it took me you know a rewatch to recognize it too. A lot of the stuff just feels, you know, oh, he wanted to do something interesting. But what this sequence really sells is it's it's right after we find out Mac is dead, and I think it's after Sweet has disappeared. Yes, but, yes. But we we it shows us that the ant is consuming them, and it is giving making her youthful. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's, it's the because... hocus pocus. It's the hocus pocus trope. You know, that's that's yeah, what. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's because we've been presented to her as she's very old and she's bound to a wheelchair and, and very weak. And so after these two girls have gone missing, we see that we have a sequence where the ant is like climbing the rafters and i love she turns into camera and like like gives us yeah. a little like uh like eyebrow wiggle into camera yeah. and uh and then we and then it just turns into this dance sequence where she and the, the skeleton in the house are like <laughs> just kind of jamming out together so, and this may be a story question but like so 
does she turn them into watermelons? Is that what it is? Like we just turn these these the girls into watermelons, and that's how she's eating them. It's it's weird. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it happens to all of them. It, it happens to Mac, but I I wonder if that's you know kind of like a comeuppance thing because she stole that watermelon too. That's fair. Um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, she has that moment when they're they're all eating the watermelon and uh, fantasy kind of looks over at her and she very briefly like opens her mouth and she's got an eyeball it's in her so, mouth and oh like looks God. at her. <laughs> There, I, I, there are so many W like, like I'm saying what the fuck moments in this movie. <laughs> like when I watched it, it was, ah, man, it was, I was just like every five minutes as I get to a certain one, like, I'm like, Jesus, yeah, what there's the? like, there's like, there's like weird parts of the movie. And then there's like weird, weird parts, parts of, the movie. of the movie. Yes, exactly. Like when, so, you know, through the whole movie, they keep talking about like this, their teacher, Mr. Togo is going to come save them. And then he gets there <laughs> and he gets turned into a giant pile of bananas. <laughs> I, it's so it's it's like it's like you want melons no bananas bananas oh no and it's just and then and the thing is you don't even see him turn into bananas you see it when the when a gorgeous's like future stepmom shows up and where he was once once was just a pile of bananas i i love I, that's my that's my last favorite scene for this too is when the when the ending when the stepmother comes because it's all like the sun is up yeah everything's gorgeous it's her, her scarf is just like continuously flowing in the wind yeah and it's done like this like oh everything's gonna be okay now and then she she walks up to the house and everyone's gone except for gorgeous who we now know is like possessed by the house or the ant or whatever whatever yeah. this evil spirit is and um, I love the final shot of this movie is amazing when they're like reaching out to each other and the cat comes running through the frame in slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the cat is kind of your like demon. Like that's the one again, that video essay talks about how like the, the, the light of the, of the bomb or the flash of the bomb was the big thing. And with the cat with, 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 with Blanche or, or Blanche and is that, this cat has the 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 quick green flash in the eyes mm -hmm. as like the symbol for like the bomb going off in a way, but just the 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 danger that's about to happen. So when the cat like you think everything's all nice and great, and then the cat runs across frame, you're like, nope, oh, someone's about to yeah. die. <laughs> but yeah, the the end that that ending scene, like when I was watching, I was like, again, I was like, this feels like a commercial. Like this mm -hmm. this is like this is a car commercial or a perfume commercial, like. And the song, the song in the, at the end, I was like, oh, is this like, like, like it's the, like, house is, the, like, she's fallen in love with the house. It's the idea. I mean, the house is, uh, Gorgeous has been consumed by the house, but, like, it's all put in the lyrics of, like, it feels like a romance between Gorgeous and, and mm -hmm. the house in a weird way. Okay. I do, I have to throw, throw out the absolute climax of the weirdness is when the when the cat painting starts vomiting blood and <laughs> floods the house with blood um that, that one's pretty fun too that's the i mean all, all like the stuff even when they're like they're the the the, the house is being basically been consumed by blood and they're like they're they're pulling the titanic of being on like a on like a board and just like mm -hmm. hanging it like floating through the blood i mean it, it's and and there's a there's a big like like wide shot from above of like a, like this god point of view where it's it's destruction essentially like it's that's what's weird in terms of what you're talking about the comparisons with with um Hiroshima is that it it's it looks like a weirdly like a war zone at one point when mm -hmm. she's like when she's laying on like whatever like the board she's on and you have all the the furniture that's floating in this like red murky water 
it's it's very uh it's very unsettling so uh a little bit about the production um on set life the movie was shot on the toho back lot um over the course of two months uh obayashi cast the film entirely with models that he had worked with on advertisements previously gotcha okay uh and he was actually he was initially disappointed in their performances uh so everyone in the film except for the the aunt who was played by yoko minamita was a non-actor she she was a film actress okay but obayashi said he got everyone comfortable by playing the soundtrack on set whenever they weren't shooting and he would invite the band um who were friends of his around to play music on set and uh they ended up shooting a cameo in the film as well Mm -hmm. and he said eventually everyone got very comfortable around each other and he uh became he ultimately was happy with the performances so the focus of the production as you may know was special effects with obayashi pushing the envelope of his already impressive repertoire of tricks he had picked up making commercials uh when the film started on the back lot toho offered the services of their staff special effects supervisor he's like nah and obayashi turned him down yeah yeah (laughs) and said no i want to do it all myself uh he also he didn't want the effects to look professional he wanted it to look wild and he wanted it to look as fantastical as possible Mm -hmm. so many of the effects used in the film he just made up on the spot and had absolutely no idea if they would work out until post-production oh god uh, (laughs) and he later uh in later interviews admitted that he wasn't happy with some of the results that made it into the final film but he would never say which ones which ones in particular smart smart man smart man yeah yeah well and he he had a very successful career um afterwards he actually um passed away earlier this year um wow but yeah but up until then he i think he released his last film in 2018 it's crazy this is his first one that's the big thing is that this 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 being his first one there's a lot of i mean i i wouldn't i don't know if i'll say confidence but there's there is a a boldness and maybe a rawness to the to the to the movie i think i think confidence is a is a good word for it because i mean especially if you know what he was doing behind the scenes to get this movie made this he definitely this was his movie yeah no one could make it except for him and he he had the vision that's fair in in the research did you find like what was the more difficult stunt like practical effect or no he um he did say the water work was tough all the stuff with the with the blood was tough especially um one of the characters i think it's prof who like kind of dissolves into the water he said that one was tough because they had to wrap her in green screen and then try and chroma key that out while she like she was actually in the water oh, and then they were trying to chroma key her while she was swimming and that and for 1977 that is probably hella difficult like yeah. so uh aftermath yeah uh so he delivered this movie to toho and they had no idea what to do with it <laughs> they had wanted something incomprehensible but they couldn't decipher house at all so um so expecting it to flop and i think this decision was made before the final product was given to them because mm-hmm. we'll talk about this later but there's there's a nod to this in the movie um but expecting it to flop toho paired it up with a as a b movie um in the double feature with a teen romance film called pure hearts and mud which starred <laughs> a very famous on-screen off-screen teen pop couple called momotomo okay um but yeah basically they were like we got to get some way for people to watch this movie we're gonna pair it up with i don't know who you would compare that to these days but like you know they they were as it was this couple that was as famous for dating in real life as they were for making movies together 
And critics weren't sure to make of the movie either. It did not get great reviews, but it found an extremely fast and rabid audience with, with teens. The movie became so popular with young crowds that Toho quickly had to uncouple it from Pure Hearts and Mud and release the film on its own. Yeah. Had a very successful, I couldn't find exact numbers, but it had a very successful run in theaters. You can't, yeah. can't really call it a cult film because it yeah. was huge. And um, Obayashi won the Blue Ribbon Award, which is the, the Japanese equivalent of the Golden Globes for Best New Director that year. It's interesting you're talking about like how studios um were worried about like this very odd i'll say odd odd mm-hmm. movie and how to pair it with something because this is exactly what happened with star wars where fox had no clue really what to do with the movie and so their theaters wouldn't take it was the thing mm-hmm. so fox like hey we'll give we'll make sh- if you take star wars from us okay if you take star wars we know it's not gonna do well but if you take it we'll give you our big huge drama the other side of midnight and that's gonna be your big hit that's gonna mm-hmm. be like oscar buzz everyone's gonna come to it just take this b movie sci-fi film as like your as the double feature and and we'll be okay and what ends up happening is that the the b movie ends up being the bigger hit and so basically yeah it's interesting to see like the the indifferent i mean it's it's the same exact year too it's in 77 Mm. at the same exact time in different countries and filmmaking you're seeing similar strands or similar like dna of like what audiences are wanting from their movies yeah well and i think you're also seeing two studios going we wanted we asked for jaws and what did you just give me A space yeah. opera or uh, yeah, Star Wars. Star Wars went through the same thing where, yeah. you know, it was it was OK. We get these fresh young directors. We make something hip and young and it's going to make us money. And and it ultimately did on both accounts. Yeah, but it was unexpected. Yeah. Uh, so, Brandon, what worked? Uh, well, one thing we haven't really mentioned that much. Uh, the music in this movie. I, I love <laughs> I love the music in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. it's weird because there's different. There's like you have this like sometimes like 70s vibe that you have that's not the the main theme and then you have this like haunting lullaby theme throughout Mm -hmm. the rest of it and then you just have kind of like random spurts of like almost like 70s rock or like something like when they're in like on the streets where they're at Mm -hmm. like towards the end yeah the music especially the lullaby it's like when listening to the lullaby stuff i feel like i've heard it somewhere but I can't place like where I've heard it. Yeah, and it's it's very pervasive. It's very pervasive. You you hear yeah. it constantly throughout the score, and that's yeah. what Melody's playing on the piano. Yeah, it gets stuck in your head for sure. Very much so. Yeah, the music. I mean, the the effects for sure. Like, it, like I said, it's, it's 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 definitely just like, hey, it definitely feels. We're, we're talking about him as like his first time director. Is it definitely feels like, hey, let me throw everything I know. Mm. in this one and some movie. things i don't know <laughs> yeah and, don't, and see just what happens yeah see so, yeah, what about you was there anything else uh i mean i think the cast ends up great cast, for, yeah. for what it is i think the actress who plays gorgeous is is awesome at, at yeah. conveying that that switch when she becomes taken over possessed i love the scene one i didn't bring up i love the scene when she comes back from having been possessed yeah and, and they're they're like you need to get some help and, and she's just being very calm yeah and um 
and just kind of leaves them all there. She's like, I'm going to go get the police and just kind of walks out and leaves them all there. And locks, the, locks them in the house. Yeah. Uh, also, weirdly, I like some of the stunts in this movie. I mean, one of, <laughs> one of my favorite characters is Kung Fu. I don't know Kung why. Kung Fu's great. Kung Fu is amazing in this movie. She, uh, she just has that sequence where she fights all the like firewood and then she's just yeah. kind of like oh that's weird <laughs> <laughs> she goes i must have imagined it <laughs> yeah yeah that he has this one character kung fu who can do kung fu and every once in a while I'll just slip into these like classic japanese kung fu movie styles where she's floating on wires and and all these yeah. things are, are floating at her and she's chopping everything out of the air yeah it's just all of a sudden super 70s kung fu movie out of yeah. nowhere trying to kick through doors and everything yeah it's it's i loved it i loved every minute of it all right did, any, did anything not work i don't i mean i don't have anything if anything not work i think there might be a little bit of i'm a tad bit confused of is the aunt dead and her soul is what's like present at the house and now the and this might be just a story question but i'm a little confused of like that transition of when gorgeous becomes like possessed that's my understanding of it because we never yeah. see the ant again no. after that yeah so i think she and when she says you, something about like i've i've been dead yeah she, she has something where, along the lines where she says i've been dead for years yeah yeah so i think she she is her spirit is haunting the house yeah you have because the only time you see her again is in the reflection of the bloody water Mm-hmm. when who who's the fine who's the final girl is it is it's it a uh, fantasy fantasy okay yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense um fa- fantasy when she looks in the water she sees the ant's reflection like where gorgeous was so mm-hmm. it's like they they become intertwined yeah that, that final shot of that sequence is wild too where gorgeous is kind of like cradling her yeah um, next to the water yeah, and and she calls her mommy i think like yeah. it's, it's very like this this is like she's a, like a, a, a matriarch or whatever she's very like motherly mm-hmm. to it's weird it's 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 again I, and we said and you, you sent me the video of like ty ty west uh talking about it and, and then now when you say that it was not written by a 10 year old but had ideas of a 10 year old is it very much feels like a from a child's perspective mm-hmm. and that's like the end of the nightmare if that makes sense is what it is mm-hmm. to her is that she's like fantasy is woken up from the nightmare even though she hasn't as woken up the nightmare and seeks like comfort and like this mother figure but it's just it's just her friend who's become possessed by a house but whatever um <laughs> but yeah yeah i don't have did you have anything else that did not didn't work I, I i just i don't if you were gonna i mean it's not a super long movie but i think if you were gonna cut anything i don't think the mr togo storyline is is very needed yeah um, i mean yeah it's it's especially because it, it never gets a payoff he just like turns into bananas turns at the into end bananas. of it yeah but they, they, I, they've got that weird slapstick sequence where he like gets his gets stuck in a bucket and and they do like the stop motion scene where he's getting pushed around the, the yeah. city street on the bucket yeah there's uh, some weird there's some weird stuff in that sequence right there because then you have is there like a, a it's a some european painter because they're that that's like lives in the building you know what i'm talking mm-hmm. about because they're just like yeah. like have a good morning painter like they don't have you have a name yeah. for him yeah. uh it's a weird and and they're saying uh uh bonjour it's very like weird like cultural stuff of like different languages and people and i and maybe that's some, I don't know if that's a representation of, of J- japan post world war ii i'm not entirely sure but it's the we it's a so I, I i did read one thing and i this might 
belong in this section be i mean not not in did anything not work but if anything comes off to us as not working i did read that part of the reason toho didn't even bother releasing this in america was because they said it was so full of social satire that they didn't think america would get it so that's the thing is i think it's it's saying a lot of stuff and apparently it was parodying a lot of popular media at the time as well okay and so you know maybe that's maybe that's something maybe that actor was from something but but yeah i think that it's it's interesting that it does that 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 was their concern about not bringing it to the states but you know you or i can watch it and i feel like get get the message and enjoy it without understanding i mean uh, without needing to understand any references for sure yeah I, I think overall I, we might we might miss the details of certain things, but mm-hmm. and and the subtleties like say, of the culture of of that era and of that place, but I think because and this kind of goes with like the horror comedy aspect because so many things are exaggerated to an extent, is that it and they're all played through visual gags a lot of the time. You you can get both the horror and the comedy because he puts it on such a um amplified level i guess you could say yeah i mean i think the i think the the watermelon sequence the well sequence is the best like you like you and i were saying i think it's the best example of the tone of this film yeah because like you said it's shot it it leads up to it it's got when we talked about this in the last episode that comedy and horror have the same setup of suspense and payoff as opposed to setup and and punchline and so the way that scene is set up is suspense and punchline yeah uh you know you've got that hitchcock shot you feel your the the pit of your stomach drop out and then the 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 head which is grotesque i mean they've got this like makeup on it so it looks like it's decomposing it yeah it's frightening yeah but but it's also funny when it's floating around (laughs) and it bites her on the butt like that's that's hilarious and then it starts puking blood and the whole time you're kind of sitting there like i don't know if i should be (laughs) horrified or or laughing exactly exactly and he does that really well. So I think that's the universal thing of how it's all played through visuals. That's the thing is that visual, like the subtlety of comedy is, is you can say regional of like say dialogue or whatever, but visually this is the whole go back to silent films is that you can play a silent film a lot of the time in any country and people will still get the comedy of it or people will still get the horror of it if it's a horror film. And I think that's what, what he relies on in this movie is how to play stuff visually. All right. Couple of, couple of interesting facts. Normally in this, in the, this episode, we would do alternate universe cast here, yeah, but no, no it, cast. Yeah, it, it appears that he got everyone that he wanted. Yeah. Uh, a couple of interesting facts. Um, Obayashi enlisted one of his original film independent cohort, um, Asai Kobayashi as his producer and composer. Okay. And he also roped him into appearing in the film as the watermelon man okay and he is also the one who did the voiceover for the trailer so his voice house. is the one that you hear going house <laughs> and you can you can hear it in the movie when he he point when he there he's giving them directions and he kind of points up and says there's the house and you, yeah. can, you can tell that that's him for sure uh auntie's fiance is played by tomo of momotomo the famous couple oh wow uh, so there's a there's a little that's bit of satire why. there yeah when they go oh he's so handsome you know they're they're kind of playing up uh and so yeah i I, I don't know exactly when in production obayashi was told that he would be 
released as a as a b movie as yeah. a double feature with pure hearts and mud but there's that reference of casting him and then there's also when fantasy runs back into the house after being attacked by uh being attacked by the the head yeah but they yeah. go there's a line where someone goes oh fantasy you're all muddy and one of the girls kind of as an aside goes oh, pure hearts and mud and, which is which is wild because like the like that is a it's a double feature joke that he built yeah. into this movie like the movie was not out yet that's he just knew it was going to be playing as a double feature that's kind of great actually um yeah so uh following the success of this film uh, uh to- toho said oh Asher, we have no idea we don't get you at all but apparently the teens do so what do you want to do next um that's, that's all that matters do the teens yeah. get you and so Obayashi said he wanted to write and direct the next Godzilla film. He pitched uh, using the same crew from Haosu, doing all the special effects himself again, and uh, also using the band Godaigo for the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. In his pitch, a pregnant Godzilla oh, would God. die of diabetes and have her body turned into a spaceship by the Japanese government. The, uh, the baby, however, would survive and would be reunited with its father. And together they would fight a female monster that shot fire from her breasts. Uh, that film was not made. Yeah, I, 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 I bet. <laughs> All right, you have any any story questions we haven't discussed yet? I guess with the watermelon guy, what's his relationship to all this? Like, yeah, it's it's not. I mean, you know, and that's that's another trope that you've got. There's always that character, and that I, I love the way they play it up in uh, in Cabin in the Woods when they have that like creepy redneck character yeah and and then he he like calls them later and is like talking to him on the phone they're like i hate talking to this guy this stupid (laughs) redneck yeah i think you know any haunted house movie has that like one guy in town who's like there's the house don't go up there but yeah it's unclear if he 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 says this thing kind of like that house hasn't had visitors in a long time or something after they go and it's you know yeah and I, i guess another question is like do the people in town because it's we're we're led to believe that that auntie has been eating young girls from the town yeah and they've kind of stopped either the town has run out of young girls or they've stopped sending the young girls up there for piano lessons because they've recognized that they yeah they've been yeah, di- it's, disappearing it, yeah it's not super clear if, if everyone in the town like knows that these girls are are off to their deaths um i mean the watermelon man is the only like town's person that we see yeah it, it's but, uh, it's funny the, the trope of like yeah the 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 the, per, the character who warns the main characters of what's about to happen it's like mm-hmm. i'm reminded not a hot not a hot house movie but in a way kind of uh it's a slasher film more is friday the 13th where it's like uh, a guy comes like they shouldn't have opened that camp mm-hmm. so that's always that kind of character that's warning the main characters hey don't go there and they have and they're usually just they're usually written off as just like the crazy of the town but mm. like this guy's an entrepreneur he's selling watermelons on the side of the road like he's probably a, a big town like he he could be the mayor i don't know like <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right he kind of points him up there and is like yeah. yeah there's the house and they go and then yeah and then he has that moment after they leave where he's like we haven't had a visitor there in a long time yeah so yeah it's, it's unclear if if they're like cool yeah let's sacrifice some girls to keep this house happy or, yeah. or what the um yeah who, the, like, the, is everyone in town involved in this like they're just like yeah we got if we get if we get young girl visitors just let them go up there let them die like i don't, I don't know well that 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 goes into probably my biggest story question that I, I love this feature but i'm not sure exactly what it's supposed to mean is 
when we were talking about the scene after Gorgeous has been possessed, they, I love the, the way this is done, but they, they like beg her to call the police and she picks up the phone and holds it to her ear and you can hear yeah people screaming for help. Yeah. And then she like places it back down and go like, oh, it's, oh, it's disconnected and I'm going to have to walk to the station. Like what, what are we hearing there? Is that like the, yeah. the other people who have been trapped in the house or... I, I i love that moment it's super haunting You're but right. I, i'm not exactly sure yeah what's going on there that's a good point you're right that does happen and it's right yeah it's right before she's she leaves that's all my questions yeah that's all that's all the questions you have I well mean, i mean we know your, your big question is wtf but yeah like, well, yeah what yeah what the hell um <laughs> it's it's yeah uh yeah i don't have no 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 more story questions i mean Oh, here, here's something. Here, here's a question. Because you have this after after all the girls have been consumed by the house, and the next day the house is like this beautiful place, and it wasn't really like that before. Mm. So, like, is it just like the whole ant thing of like, oh, the house is consuming people, so it also has this like not youthful thing, but this like beauty comes back into the house. Like, yeah, is yeah, that I, I never there? really noticed that because uh, yeah like you said i'm kind of so distracted in that end sequence by yeah how like glossy it is yeah but and, yeah and, and I, i'd never really noticed the house is yeah it's never been portrayed that way before then so like is that like the house needs like something to to make it live or like continue it's it's uh yeah it, it's it sets up a, a that's why that's why like at the end when like when i was like oh like who is i almost thought like it was I knew it wasn't a flashback, but I had this like weird, cause it felt like it's just a different place completely. Mm-hmm. And like the person who was coming to it was like falling in love with the house or whatever. So that's why it felt different from everything else before then. I think it's because of the way it was shot, but again, it shot, it was never shot that way before to make it look beautiful and like a commercial or whatever. Yeah. It just makes me feel so sad for the stepmom. Like she's, she's trying yeah. so hard yeah. to be friends with gorgeous. She gets to this beautiful house gorgeous is like a completely different person and she's like oh i'm finally this it's gonna happen i'm gonna be friends yeah. with my my stepdaughter yeah and, and we're gonna you know, we're gonna have you know, a big happy happen. family it's gonna be great gorgeous has that great line where, where the stepmother's like where are your friends and she's like oh they're sleeping but they're they're gonna be starving when they wake up yeah what yeah what if they're just all zombies afterwards i don't know like <laughs> like like max head floating around yeah like yeah like, like what's who's gorgeous talking to after all this like who's she hanging out with like is it blanche just blanche the cat. the cat yeah that's fair <laughs> uh all right awards oh man this, here we go beatrice straight award actor actress with limited scenes that oh, kills man. it uh i don't really have anyone for this at the moment i think the ant the ant you think the ants and in, in not that many scenes to yeah i mean she's she's gone by like if, if the mirror scene marks the uh, halfway point she's um she's out by i'll i'll go with that i like the yeah the ant i would i'd make that makes sense she's got this really like kooky scary vibes to her the 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 my the two the first time i watched this movie the two images that stuck out to me most were her with the eyeball in her mouth yeah and that's that little scene where she like crawls on the on the uh, beam and like looks yeah. straight at you. Yeah. Uh, but I also I, I love it's so like fun and twisted when she's just dancing with the skeleton. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess she's probably only in the movie maybe twenty minutes. 
Like, I, 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 I think she's the one that's going to qualify the most because everyone else is like Mr. Togo or the stepmom or Gorgeous's dad. And I don't think any of those really stand shout out. out. Shout out Gorgeous's dad as a composer said he was oh, in yeah. Italy than, and Leone Mor- liked his music better than Morricone. I, I forgot about that reference. That was a weird. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, it's like oh. that must be it. That's how you know he's a good composer. <laughs> I was in Italy and just Leone's just like, yeah, you're better than Morcone. I'm like, thanks. I know. <laughs> so we're going, we're going, we're going with the ant for Beatrice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. The Annie, po- Annie Potts X Factor Award for a supporting actor or actress that is the most memorable. I mean, I, I know who I'm picking. I don't know uh, if you'll pick this. I'm going with Kung Fu. I'm going Kung Fu as well. Okay. That was the one I was like, this is my favorite character. Like, this is my favorite, like of the girls. She is my favorite. Yeah, like, yeah, she makes it. She makes it decently far. Yeah, she does. She does. I also like that she's she's kind of you know she's she's the one who, Prof kind of has like a breakdown towards the end there, where she's like, none of this is logical. Yeah, I can't process any of this. And Kung Fu's like, let's, I, I can take this. Let's go. <laughs> and unfortunately, she she does. She is uh, electrocuted by a lamp that yeah. eats the her torso. Yeah, but she manages even after death. <laughs> she manages to get one last kick in exactly. and destroy the painting of the cat. <laughs> Kung Fu still kicking in after death. That's the great. That's, that's great. Yeah, Kung Fu for the win. All right, and the Gene Hackman MVP award for the person who carries the movie. I mean, it's Obayashi. Like, <laughs> it's Obayashi. it can't be anyone he else. Was, he was carrying the movie before it was even made. Exactly. Like, I, I mean, like, I don't know of another person that like would do that. And well, here's the thing: I don't know another person who would do that and also become successful like in that yeah. way. Like, that's I, there's people who are like, oh, this is my movie. And they spend so much time promoting it, and then it just goes to shit. It should it shouldn't go down that way whatsoever. No. Like I mean, seriously, I don't even know if someone who would, like after he did all that, would they even hire him? Like I feel like studios now would be maybe I'm wrong. Like certain studios, at least in certain areas of film, like would be so like burned they would not want to bring that person in. Like hey, you just spent two years like making us look like fools. Mm-hmm. we're not going to do this movie yeah yeah it's wild i would i would love to hear like a, an executive from toho give their side of this story yeah. like what it what it was like to just spend two years shopping the script around and just <laughs> constantly be flooded i mean you had to get to a point where once his his outside work got successful enough where you'd hand a script to somebody and go and they like just looked at the title and went oh this is obayashi's movie yeah like, we're not touching this yeah <laughs> I'm sure that that that's probably when they decided they had to hand it off to him is when you know the other directors were like oh because I mean he was he was a household name as a commercial director in the first place which is kind of wild to think about yeah. um you know we don't really do that anymore um maybe in the in the 90s with music yeah. video directors like you know Fincher was Fincher was already known when he did Alien Three but yeah. um yeah it's like like fincher like gore Verbinski, even michael bay like those those people were doing music videos or like commercials and i think now it commercials are not as it's i don't want to say it's derogatory but like the commercials tend to have just a similar vibe throughout most of them or similar aesthetic yeah i i think the equivalent now would be like making youtube videos like even even like koganada you yeah. know being doing columbus and and that being part of the billing like we all knew him as a film essayist 
yeah when columbus came out and that, that was part of the appeal was like oh i've watched this guy this guy has great takes on movies yeah. i want to see this dude knows his had, stuff what, yeah what, yeah what he has to do what he has to make for himself yeah that's fair that's that's probably where stuff's coming from now is is the youtube like youtube uh small content yeah. creators all right final questions okay i get the, the the tables are turned if you make this movie today <laughs> who do you cast in it Sit. i mean i do th- real quick i was thinking about this you know when you watch that coconata thing um mm-hmm. there is kind of social subtext to make that you could you could somewhat make this a like 9-11 allegory today if you're just talking about that's you know the, like a generational divide yeah that's a I mean, that's a divide that we're seeing very clearly right now i mean that's fair that that is a good point i didn't think of it in that context but you could easily do i mean you could you could but you could pick probably any country in a way and do that mm-hmm. and like yeah, pick a, yeah. Pick everyone's got like a tragedy that that marks the separation between two generations for yeah. sure so if it was remade today the the, the cop out was like don't remake this i'm not gonna give you people uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll give you two that i thought of uh I, for or first all all the young actors are unknowns that that I, I don't like i just don't know who to pick for that i'm gonna stick with his idea of like casting just like people well, you like don't we, really know and like we talked about you know there's so the characteristics are so simplistic yeah and you know it's it's probably good to not have any baggage because you're all this is all you know about like yeah gorgeous is gorgeous and kind of vain about it yeah. like that's it that's all you need to know period yeah um, no. so yeah to have someone who brings any kind of baggage to it already is messing with like the the very pure like one note and and i don't even i don't mean one note is like bad like this is yeah his intention and this is what he set out to do with these characters and it works i had two picks for the ants mm-hmm. helena bohm carter mm. yep and the other one i had was julianne moore oh, okay i like that okay yeah, i like both of those yeah because the idea is that you have to like it's the transition of making them appear old and then get younger or at least more mm. youthful as the movie goes on. Yeah. Like it's, I don't think it's as drastic of a change as like Bette Midler and Hocus Pocus and those characters. I, it, there needs to be a transition. I think with like Helena Bum Carter or Julianne Moore, you could like, you could do that. And also it's someone who has to be, who can be terrifying but also feel like nice and like i don't want to use quirky but eccentric she's not sinister at all in the beginning like when we're first introduced to her she's really not scary at all and so you need that believable believable transition i think either those two actors can do that uh does this movie fit within any other genres i mean because we're talking about heart i I mean haunted house genre for sure Mm. i wonder political uh, satire is it a satire you could say it's satire for japan uh, japanese culture um or japanese media at the time uh yeah i think those are the two i would i mean i would haunted mm-hmm. house especially because it is it is a it, in, it inverts kind of the i mean it takes the heart the haunted house tropes and just spins them or in some cases exaggerates them to a point where it's something completely different finally how does it fit within our our month of horror comedy genre again kind of what you say it, it exaggerates everything to a point where it's like it's both com- comedic but also kind of terrifying in a way mm-hmm. like it's 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 like again like you said it's like 
I don't know whether to be terrified or to be laughing when the head mm. is coming up for the well and like bites her on the butt. Like, yeah. is that funny or terrifying? If I saw a floating head, would I be laughing? Probably not. But like, and then there, and the, and weirdly too, going off that is that like, even some of the characters in the movie, when bad stuff happens to them, they end up just laughing at it in a mm. way. Like when Melody gets like her fingers get bit off, she goes, "Oh, oh yeah. my fingers are like my fingers are gone." And I was like, "Why are you happy?" Like <laughs> you're, and then and then she gets eaten by a piano and she's terrified. So it's just a weird like, yeah. So I, I think it's the exaggeration of human behavior, but also in the visuals of it. That's the key thing: is that it exaggerates the visuals to where you know. To a point where it's so much, it ha it's done in a comedic way. Yeah, I think one scene in particular that really shows that is that, that he was consciously using the visuals to break any sort of like real horror. Yeah. Is um, is when, when Kung Fu finds Sweet in the clock and mm -hmm. we're seeing her kind of crushed to death by the internal workings of the clock. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a pretty kind of, you're just seeing the, her Sweet's face and... Um, it's pretty disturbing. It's yeah. kind of played very slowly. It doesn't like cut fast, but what he does is like keep inverting the colors. So we're never really like directly confronted with blood. It's like yeah. green yeah. and then it's orange. And so I think that's probably one of the ones that possibly, you know, doing that in post, he, he might've seen that sequence come out and was like, ah, that's, that's too, a little too, yeah. too horror for me. We got to do something to invert that. Cause it's not shot as crazy. You know, the, the scene with the piano is like so avant-garde yeah. that it, that it barely even registers as like someone being eaten as, by a piano. Like you, you, it's a cartoon version of someone being eaten by a piano. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's like, you know, with the saying this fits into the haunted house genre and, but it's so exaggerated. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly where it fits into horror comedy and something we've been seeing with Phantom and with this is if you essentially take horror yeah. and and just play it up, it's very easy to play it for laughs if you if you know but the thing is it, it's if you really know the horror itself. Yes. It's it's not just you know, it's it's not just scary movie where you're doing like visual gags yeah. the entire time. You you also have to recognize the story structure of the horror that came before it yeah that that's that's a big key i mean i think of it's not a good comparison probably but i think of like get out where it's like it, it is a horror but there are comedic elements to it but they're playing the horror straight but mm -hmm. somehow because some of the stuff is exaggerated in moments it the comedy comes out of it yeah all right well thanks thanks for watching it brandon took i, a, took I a enjoyed it it's, it's been a, i've been wanting to watch it for a while so i'm excited i was excited to like finally get to it and at this month again kind of like you talked about for last year i'm trying to like watch more horror films that are outside the wheelhouse of just like let me rewatch halloween or rewatch the shining or if i watch halloween maybe i should watch all the ones i haven't seen like oh watch the one with paul rudd or like should i be watching the rob zombie one i don't know i don't know but yeah i was excited to see it and yeah i'm also excited to see what we do for the rest of this this month with horror comedies did you have anything else to add about House Sue Thomas? I, I appreciated you. I love the breakdown. See, seek it out, folks. It's it's unlike anything you've ever seen before. Yeah, HBO Max and Criterion Channel, or if you don't have either of those, maybe it's probably probably available for rent on Amazon or wherever you get your movies. And hopefully you're not spoiled by what we talked about because we talked about a lot of just random 
deaths in this and, movie. And, yeah, even even if you feel like we've spoiled the plot, we have not spoiled the visuals. Yeah, so. that's the thing. It's like it's I, when when we were going through this, I'm like, man, if I never saw this movie and I was listening to this podcast, would I have any clue of what is going on? And I don't know if I would. But guys, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on our podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And make sure you give us a review. We like hearing from you. And that helps us kind of be seen by more people. Give us a rating. Five stars if you're nice. And make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And follow our stuff on Medium when we're posting articles. And yeah, Thomas, thank you so much for for bringing Hausu to my world. House. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.